At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com What's up, you guys? It's your host, Will, coming back for another episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast, Season 2, Episode 25, and today we're talking mule deer. We're going to be doing that with none other than Mr. Eric Van Workham, also known as Muley Freak. And we're going to be getting him on here today because he is a new Hunt Stand partner of ours, and as well as that, he lives, eats, and sleeps mule deer hunting, and specifically... We're going to be talking e-scouting tips, tactics, strategies, and go down a couple other rabbit holes when it comes to mule deer hunting to help y'all out there that you've got that tag in your pocket, that you've got that early season mule deer tag, or you're chasing after mule deer at some point this year, but you got that tag in your pocket. Eric's going to be bringing some insight in his years of experience chasing after mule deer to help y'all better hone in and get prepped for the season. You know, mule deer, it's a different ball game. There are different things you want to be looking for out in the woods. There's different things you want to be looking for when you're e-scouting up on the mountain. There's all these different components to mule deer hunting, and we're going to be talking to Eric about that. But again, y'all, I just want to thank y'all for tuning in to the Hunt Stand Podcast. You got lots of other choices out there, so we just want to say thank you. And if you haven't yet, Please go on over on your listening platform, whether it's on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you're listening to the podcast from, and rate, review, and if you're not yet, subscribe to the podcast. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Hope you enjoy. I'm a quit rambling, and here's our man, Muley Freak Eric Van Workham. You ready to get this thing rolling? Let's roll. All right, man. Eric, welcome to the Hunt Stand Podcast. First one we've gotten you on. So first and foremost, thanks for taking the time out of your day to talk Western Big Game, dude. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Absolutely. So one of the things I like to do to get each of these podcasts started is I like for the guests to let us know who you are, man. And uh, so what I call that is just kind of that 30 foot tree stand view doesn't necessarily apply to you since you're a Western guy, but dude, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. So I grew up here in Northern Utah. Um, uh, came from a big family, grew up on a small dairy farm, actually uh, grew up in playing athletics and, and uh, 4-H and milking cows and, and hunting off horses, actually, believe it or not. And, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of time for hunting big game while I was in all the athletics. So I got a little bit of weekend stuff yeah. in. Like after I, you know, I graduated high school, moved to Sweden, did a, a church mission for two years for my church and lived in Stockholm and, and learned the Swedish language. And then when I came home, went to college and, uh, you know, just discovered there was something going on with the social media and there was doing direct sales, actually door to door sales. 
And I realized that I kept miss, missing the archery seasons because I was moving around the country all summer long, yeah. slinging, alarm, slinging alarm systems door to door. <laughs> and so I was like, man, I keep missing archery and I, I want to hunt the archery season. So I, I decided I was going to make something out of the social media and I always wanted to get in the hunting industry and doing something cunning always fascinated me. So I figured I'd, I'd spin my own thing. And then one day I created a, I created a Facebook page called Muley Freak and did a giveaway and the rest is history. Started a YouTube channel, decided I want to start documenting my hunts because um, it was more or less an online journal for me and, and journal entry that it's something I wanted my ki- my kids to see down the road and, yeah. and uh, see my adventures and bring it home to see my wife. And and I wanted to grow and develop as a hunter. I wanted to get better. And, um, you know, we used to <laughs> we used to ride up the canyon on our horses and then ride home at three o'clock at night because we had to be home to milk the cows. And there wasn't a lot of hunts growing up that we were very successful. Yeah. Because grandpa always said the cows are always waiting for us. We can hunt as hard as we want, but the cows are always waiting for us. Well, we were missing some of the prime hunting because we had to get home to milk the cows. So um, we we never really hunted in the evenings. I just remember getting, I just, man, I'm sick of missing. I'm sick of not getting anything. I'm <laughs> sick of all these these tags that aren't punched. Yeah. And so that's why I just I just want to become a better hunter. And I started this journey that is Muley Freak. So. I was going to ask where the Muley Freak name came from, and it, that don't make sense. How, yeah, how many years did you eat tag soup, dude? Dude, I, I I did I did my own podcast about this one time. Um, I bet you, I bet you there was three or four years. Uh, I mean, obviously a long time, right? Fifteen yeah. years, and I, I I was able to take a few things, kill a few things, but I mean, where I really decided I wanted to become a hunter and a good hunter, I bet you there was three four years of out of state tags that I had. Five thousand to ten thousand dollars stack of tags, oh. where I was hunting OTC over the counter stuff and tags I never filled. In fact, I remember one hunt where I had an elk and deer hunt combo, and I just like, man, if I come home again to my wife and tell her I didn't get anything again, she's gonna be pissed because <laughs> I, I was spending a ton of money. Now, dude, this this was before there was offline maps. This was before there was uh, mapping apps of any kind. Yeah. Uh, we didn't know anything. And this is when you could still show up at the gas station and grab a tag. And there wasn't this, and social media was was just barely starting to come around. So it was kind of a new thing. So there wasn't this massive networking going on, right? And so um, I just remember thinking, man, I want to figure this out. I'm, I'm trying to network here, but man, if I come home one more time, I mean, I just can't. And it was at that point that I made the decision in my mind that I was going to hunt harder, push myself more, and invest more in my success. So, dude. I feel like uh, tag soup is something that uh, I've watched YouTube a lot, you know, over the years. Just like everybody else, they dream of going out west. They give it a shot their first two, three years. They eat that tag soup and they give up. And there's a lot behind Western hunting, man. Like it's not as easy as what YouTube makes it out to seem. Yeah. So that's kind of what I want to talk about today is. You know, specifically, we're going to talk mule deer. I want to give the listeners kind of your overlooking view or overview of just kind of a, a good mule deer hunting strategy and from setting out trail cams, e-scouting, and just how you're essentially attacking this time of year, prepping yourself for the fall. And so let's kind of get into it, man. You, you know, it's it's August you've got tags in hand or you're, you know, you're going to be getting some tags in hand. You already know what your game plan is going to be. So let's talk like what's going through your mind right now. It's August. Like what are you yeah. starting out with? Yeah. 
So, um, yeah, I'll kind of touch on that. But first, let's touch on why mule deer. I mean, yeah. we, we don't have white tail. We're one of the few states, I think Nevada might be the only other state, mm-hmm. that doesn't have some sort of species of white tail. So we're, 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 really? we're really unique where we don't have white tail deer. And so we grew up mule deer, mule deer, mule deer, right? Yeah. And, you know, growing up, the only thing you you know, I watched Lee and, Lee and Tiff on, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the Outdoor Channel, which is funny because I actually shared a camp with them three, four years ago, which is kind of funny. But anyways, grew up watching that. And I just got, I just got tired of watching all the whitetail. No, no disrespect because whitetail are phenomenal. I want to, I want to become a whitetail hunter one day too. But um, I just, there was just something about mule deer. Now to, to some of your, uh, segueing over to some of your August strategy and, um, some of your trail camera tactics and whatnot. Utah uh, became somewhat unique recently in the sense that they banned trail cameras completely yes. one year ago, past the 31st of July. Mm-hmm. Now, just this year, they kind of changed a little bit. If you have private, you can keep your trail cameras up past the 31st of July. Okay. But, um, so there is kind of that, but it's like, you know, someone asked me the other day, is like, are you going to go set trail cameras? Like why? Just so I can rip them down right before I find out what, what kind of bucks or how mm-hmm. bucks are going to finish out. And so, I mean, unless you have some private land in Utah, trail cameras aren't going to help you a lot. Now trail cameras can help you early. Yeah. Um, if you get them out early, at least you can get some sort of idea of where the animals are congregating, what type of stuff they like, where they're bedding, where they're feeding, where they're drinking, because uh, part of the strategy here in Utah, especially even in the high country in this desert stuff, water, right? You've, you've got to find water. Mm-hmm. If you can find water and where they're watering, you can get an idea or a sense of what's around. So the number one strategy for trail cameras, if you can put them out, depending on your, your situation is, is water. Yeah. So, you know, speaking outside of Utah, I mean, do you go outside of Utah to chase after mule deer or are you primarily sticking to the home state? I def I definitely get out a lot, um, but but I don't set a lot of trail cameras out of state just because the convenience part of it. I mean, yeah. If you want if you want to blitz over to Wyoming or Idaho, I mean, obviously Wyoming's tough to draw. It's mm-hmm. The stuff the stuff that's close, anyways. If you want to blitz over to Wyoming, you're you know, it's you're a couple, you're going to need a couple of days. So um, I typically rely on e scouting versus trail cameras, especially when stuff's so far away. Yeah. So. That's why high res imagery is so important. That's why 3D maps are so important. So you can get boots on the ground figuratively without having to go to the actual place. Now, I have a family of, well, I have a family of seven, soon to be eight. Wow. My wife's going to have her sixth child. Wow. Yeah, mind blown. Dude, the last two were accidents. I finally figured out how that stuff works and I'm going to get it taken care of. How old are you? 37. Dude. Uh, any life advice for the guys out there trying to figure out how the heck you find all this time to go hunting with that many kids? Dude, it's getting, t- you got to work your flipping tail off. That's how you have to do it. <laughs> you want, you want to still go to the gym? You better get up at five o'clock. If you want to shoot your bow, you better get it done shortly after the gym or you better do it when you put the kids to bed. If yeah. you want to hunt, you better, you better go quick and you better hunt hard. Now you're going to get, they're going to get a certain amount of hunts that you can go for a week, but you better become a badass weekend warrior if you want to get some some hunts in and get some tags built. Ooh, yeah. dude. Kudos to you on being able to do that, man. Yeah. Thanks, man. I, I appreciate it. But like, it's like Tucker Carlson said though. He's like, man, if you, if you really want to experience joy in life, he says, 
go and have a bunch of kids. He says Mormon level type amounts of kids. Mormon level. <laughs> yeah, Mormon, Mormon level amounts of kids. Tuck, Tucker Carlson said that. I, he said, seen that. He said money comes and money goes. It does. The, the true joy in life is um, is your kids. And we'll, we'll, have, we'll sprinkle hunting in there, right? Since it's a hunting podcast. Oh, dude, absolutely. Let's, let's talk e-scouting, man. You know, since you're kind of in that state um, that you, you know, let's, let me back up. You got that st- out-of-state hunt for yourself, right? And, you know, you may or may not have that chance to go out and put out cameras if you don't. So let's, let's talk that e-scouting then. You know, let's, what are you starting to look at on desktop? You know, that's the most effective way to e-scout. Like, sure, you can do it on your phone. But you can do a lot more when you get things pulled up on a big screen. So walk us through kind of what's going through your mind as you're starting to look at a new unit or new area. Yeah. So uh, I'll be honest. You can find animals just about anywhere in any unit mm-hmm. for the most part. And you can find stuff even close to roads. In fact, some giants, a lot of giants are killed close to roads. And you might think because a lot of people blitz past them. True. But I'm to the point where I, I'm most happy and most at peace and have the most fun if I'm away from other people. Same. Because, you, you know, you, you eliminate problems, you eliminate, um, you eliminate pressure. And, and, you know, not it's not always that simple. But I try to go where I can be three to ten miles in. So I'll start where I can be three to ten miles in. And I've got a plan for, you know, time for the hunt because of the time it's going to take me to hike in there, but I'll start looking at three to 10 miles in and I'll look at a couple of things. I'll look at imagery in terms of bedding areas, feeding areas, uh, travel corridors. And, uh, that that's pretty much where I'll start. And the, and the biggest thing is, and I, and I think where I've as much experience as I have now, I can pretty mm-hmm. much tell where an animal's going to bed now. So. How described to the listeners, how you're finding bedding areas. Like what are you looking for in bedding areas? What are you looking for in all those different things that you just described? You know, yeah, I think, I think anywhere the animal can feel secure. Again, it's going to depend on the type of terrain, right? If you're in the low desert, if you're in the high country, let's, let's give the high country, for example, I'm looking yeah. for deep, dark timber pockets um, that offers the most shade. And, and that's what I'm looking for. Then, you know, what what type of vegetation is there outside of those deep dark timber pockets? They want to, you know, they're not going to travel five miles to feed. They're going to just, you know, travel a few hundred yards to come out and feed, mm-hmm. so that they can go back in these deep dark dark timber pockets. And how easy is that access? You know, are those? Am I going to target deep dark timber timber pockets right next to trailheads or roads? Absolutely not. I'm going deep dark dark timber pockets off the beaten path that isn't going to get pressure. And I know, I know that those are going to, are going to hold, um, hold game. And then in relation, you got to try to find water. Like, where's the water? Is there a major water source? Is there, um, some water, uh, is it intermittently spread throughout there? And so then I'm going to try to investigate that. Yeah. Creeks, streams, looking for wallows and other stuff too, right? Right. And some of that stuff isn't going to be on the map, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So some of that is going to require boots on the ground, but if you can locate a few springs and stuff on the app, then that's super helpful. Now, or let's talk early season for those guys that, you know, they've got that velvet mule deer tag and we're talking high country, right? Uh, what are you, what are you looking for in that? Are you still looking for those deep timber pockets? You know, like I know when you get above tree line, 
I mean, what are some of the things you're looking for for some of those early season guys? I mean, I think you're still going to be looking for some timber stuff, but but the deer, at least mule deer, they're going to be on the fringes of that because they're not going to go in the super thick stuff because they want to kind of protect their antlers. Mm-hmm. Uh, those antlers are pretty sensitive that time of year. So you're going to want to look for bluffs and, and rock outcropping. So big boulders, uh, big cornices, because a lot of times, especially in the high country, they like to bed up under some of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a hunt on YouTube where Tyler and I are, or hiking into this country, a, a backcountry deer hunt. And sure enough, there's a big old 180 buck, which a 180 buck, big public land buck, that's a big deer. That's a huge deer. He just, yeah, he just bedded up underneath this this big boulder. So they like to they like to get to a spot where they can get high mm-hmm. and kind of overlook the valley so they can detect predators kind of coming in from below. So looking at that right there, when you're looking at your desktop and you've got hunt stand pulled up and everything, and you've got that satellite aerial view, and let's say you've got everything picked out right there that you just talked about, you know, you found those rock outcroppings, you know, those bluffs, everything. And it could even be an area that you're familiar with. I mean, how do you then essentially kind of formalize that attack or game plan to go after mule deer? You know, you, you found that. So then you start looking at like, okay, where, where's camp going to be? Uh, water sources nearby for water for myself. Uh, if I find mule deer here at this rock outcropping, what's going to be the best route to try and go after? I mean, what are you looking at there? That's a great question. So the first thing that I'll identify is pull up the topography layer Mm -hmm. and look at elevation because in mule deer, you want to get to as high as you can. So you can see as much as you can. So I'll identify glassing points with topography, topography layer. Yep. And I'll start measuring distances. So if I'm like, hey, I know that the bucks or bulls, bucks in this case, are going to bed right here. I want to start planning those distances so I can plan my stocks. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. So, and then I'll identify a few more and be like, oh man, um, you know, if I want to go on a stock right here, I'll have to drop 300 feet in elevation and it's it's only about 800 yards away. How long is that going to take me? And then I know how many stocks I can get on in a day, if that makes sense. Um, for prime example... Aaron and I were scouting last week mm-hmm. and we were scouting really gnarly burn with some, with a big cliff band that ran across it. And there was only a couple ways down on this, off this cliff band into this burnt timber to stalk animals. I know without a shadow of a doubt that if I see a buck I want to go after, I'm going to get one stock a day because I got to climb out of this hole. And, and yeah. that can be frustrating. That's where you got to make your stock count. And that's where it pays off to be a little bit better hunter because you're going to get one stock a day in that. Yeah, dude, that stuff can be pretty gnarly, man. I mean, just oh, all the crap that you got to go over, and good lord knows what else, man. And it's loud. It's loud. In fact, um, we, we're kind of coming off there, and we we're getting ready to pull out of there last week, and we spotted a giant mountain lion coming out of there. So, um, you know, you, you've got you got the noise, you got the animals, you've got rattlesnakes, you've got mountain lions. I mean, there's a lot of factors that going into the success of a hunt, which you know kind of segueing over here and circling back to one of your questions being this mm-hmm. western big game hunter man if if people knew how much effort that it took to create a, a film backcountry hunting for mule deer or elk man there there'd be this many haters chirping in the comments oh. it's it's tough man it's super tough dude even just doing a whitetail hunt is tough man it's just like then you you know you're going up in tree stands and blinds and then you're factoring in western you're walking and hiking and everything and then all the weights you got to put on your back with packs i mean yeah whole new ball game 
Yeah, exactly. But up, 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 back back to back to the map feature. Updated mm. imagery is huge. Yes. If if you have out of date imagery that's three four years old, five six years old, whatever. Excuse me. And you look, and you you might look at the maps, and it won't even show you a burn. Yet you're um, you're 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 looking at a burn in front of you, but the map's not saying it. So then you can't you kind of can't plan a route mm-hmm. for a stop. So that's one thing I've noticed about, and I've used you know two three different hunting mapping apps at this point. And that's one thing I've noticed about HuntStand is the up to date imagery is is huge. Yeah, super big man, especially with the monthly satellite imagery, and that's. It's honestly kind of where where I want to go next is, you know, what kind of tips do you have for the listeners that, you know, you're out of state, they see water, or how are you identifying areas that could potentially have water if there's been a lot of rain to focus, you know, your e-scouting efforts and looking for those travel corridors? I mean, how are you using different layers on HuntStand to identify that? Um, so if there's a lot of water versus if there's not a lot of water. Yeah. You know, like uh, you, you get on uh, the app and there's different times where you can look and it'll have a spring or it'll have like a Creek that goes through a certain area. Uh, You could see that, but when you get there, boots on the ground might be dried up or what other parts of the map are you looking at? Let's say for example, like I'm going to Colorado, there's a lot of rain right now. Um, So I should probably be looking at different things that, there could be more water in different places that the map may not necessarily show me right then and there. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, I think in that situation, you also got to look at the weather and the year that the yeah. area is, is it, is it a, is it high precipitation year? Is it a dry year? And that will kind of, di- did we get a lot of snowfall that winter? That's going to dictate whether um, you think those layers inside the, in the app are going to be accurate and hold water. Um, you know, it's, Unless you kind of know the area, I feel like it's honestly 50-50. It's like, even though the map True. might say there's something in there, it's like, well, this one doesn't look very big. So, or, or this one looks bigger and this one's higher. I think this one's got a good chance that there is going to be water in this one, you know? Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's honestly subject to how the winter was and how hot the summer is, if I'm being honest. Um, yeah, that that is big because, I mean, like, I know you've probably been there before you east scout and you're like, Oh man, there's a good wallow there. You get it marked yeah. or you find a Creek. And then when you show up, it's just dried up. Gone. Yeah. I- I've learned this. Um, if you're new to an area, almost never pass water, especially, especially if you're new and you're climbing in elevation, because guess what? You're going to get to the top. Turns out you're not going to find any water down there. Then you're going to have to drop an elevation, come back down and just go back up. So don't be lazy. Just fill up. It's never going to hurt you just to fill up and top off. That's not a bad tip. That's a good little nugget there. <laughs> it's it's kind of like when you're you're passing the last gas station. You're like, man, I don't, this could be the last gas station. I don't know. <laughs> you know, better fill up. Yeah, better better fill up. Yeah. So, what elevation are you? You know, when you're when you're scouting right now, uh, what? You know, let's talk. What what uh, mule deer tags you have in your pocket right now, or where do you know? Or you're like, what do you know you're going to be hunting this upcoming fall? Yeah. So, I mean, I have two, I have three million attacks actually right now. Um, but let's, uh, hopefully my wife doesn't listen to this. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's talk Utah, for example. I okay. mean, I think, uh, I think the elevation of, I could look, I think the elevation there is, I'll tell you right now. 
7,500 feet. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, I think it's less, I mean, I think there's going to be deer in every elevation if I'm being honest. Um, so I think that hike starts out at like 3,800 feet, 4,000 feet. Um, and then we get to 7,000, 7,500 and we bump deer all along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the majority of the deer are going to be at, at, at the top. So you, you've got to look at, okay, what's the top of this ridge line? Where are the basins below that? Where are they feeding, bedding? Where do they feel comfortable? And then go from there. Yeah. Again, the majority of the deer are going to be up higher, but that doesn't mean that you cannot be successful in find a diamond in the rough in some of the mid or low country. Because you could have a buck, you could have a buck hanging out in some off dry canyon that that no one knows about, and it, it could be really rare. But um, I don't know. I, I think it should be less about elevation and more about just finding deer. The features that you're talking about earlier. Yeah, features. Yeah. Man, and it, that's a good thing to think about because I feel like people get stuck. And I, I've been there before with, with elk. You know, I hear 9,000, 10, 5, 10, 9, yeah. 6, 9, 8, and you just like solely focus your efforts on that elevation alone. And then you honestly just end up hurting yourself at the end of the day. And 100%. you're coming down the mountain, and then all of a sudden there's elk at 85, and it's like, what the crap? Or, you know, yeah. there's a ton of mule deer. Yeah. People ask me like in springtime. I don't know if you've watched our uh, our bear wars series and our bonsai bears yep. trip, but it's kind of an epic uh, bear trip that we do. And people are like, where, where are you finding the bears at? I'm like, man, bears are where you find them. They're at <laughs> they're at they're at zero to eight thousand feet every single year. And so the bears are just where you find them. There's there's no rhyme or reason to a bear, you know. Mm. And yeah, sure, there's certain flowers that come on and certain grasses that come on that will help dictate, but they're typically all over. Yeah. Really? And, and it's the same, it's the same with deer and elk. I think you're going to find them everywhere. You're going to find them where there's less pressure. I mean, you could have everyone at 10,000 feet chasing these big bucks around a basin and, and no one's hitting five grand, you know? And then mm-hmm. one guy goes into five grand and he finds a little pocket of bucks and has a great hunt. So I, I think it's subject to change. They are wild animals. There's never like, Oh, this time of year, they're 8,000 feet. This time of year, they're 10,000 feet. Yeah. Early on, they're going to be hot. Early oh, yeah. on, they're going to be hot. But as soon as they get a little bit of pressure, especially these high mountain bucks, they're going to timber up and they're going to live 2000 feet down. Typically. I mean, it depends on the hunt area, but from my experience, they'll move down to the timber. They're not going to come out into those open bases anymore. So yeah, you're going to have to move down, but early on, typically higher is better for me for mule deer, but yeah. you still have there. You got a buck that wants to live low. He'll live low. So I want to back up a little bit on the whole trail camera perspective, you know, we talked that, you know, you're in Utah, so they've got these laws in place that, like you said, after July 31st, you got to pull them. And so let's, let's talk, you know, you've, you've got your cameras out. Let's talk to that guy that he's had cameras out all summer. Um, and they either got to pull them cause they're in Utah or they've died, but they've got all this information leading up to that point from when they pull that card. So, you know, you're, you're looking at your cams, looking at all this stuff with mule deer. So, I mean, what information are you taking? Cause obviously those deer can be in different places. What information are you going to be taking from those cameras to apply to when your hunt's going to be in the fall? Yeah. I mean, I still think there's some really valuable information that you can pull from that card. Number one, you can get an idea of how many bucks are in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you can't, you can't go into a basin one or two times or a canyon and figure out how many deer there is in the area. I think the trail camera is really going to give you a good idea for how many bucks are in the area. 
Number two, it can give you an idea of maturity. You know, you might not be able to see how a buck is going to finish out when he's all balled up on his antler tips, but it'll give you an idea on, you know, maturity. So I think there's that good information. And then, um, you know, I think, I, I think those are the two main things, which are, which are still big. And then you can decide, oh man, there's a lot of bucks in this area. Uh, would I be happy with one of these bucks? Or, you know, I, I, I think I might, well, I'm going to start putting boots on the ground here in this area, or, you know what, I'm just really not getting the sense that there's a lot of bucks in here. It doesn't no. seem like there's pure bucks and I can decide not to just delete it, you know? Gotcha. Gotcha. No, that's definitely good. Cause Man, just everything everything that you've brought up today, it's good because I feel like we get so caught up in the, the minutiae and just like everything about Western that just gets romanticized and we almost get too granular with it, right? So yeah. I like what you're, what you're bringing up. You know, essentially the animals are going to be what the animals are, information that you can pull from the cards and just your e-scouting efforts and what you're doing. And so do you have a story or just something you can share with us where essentially the deer read the script, the plan came together, how it was supposed to, have you ever had instances like that before where it happened, how it was supposed to. Hmm. I have to think, man, I, I don't know that I've ever had this quote unquote, um, thing where, where the deer read the script, but I, I can say that most of my success has come after identifying what I want to go after mm -hmm. and then not giving up and just going hard. Um, yeah, sure. I've got lucky. I've had, um, buck let me leave, uh, unleash an arrow. I've had a buck actually kind of turn in my arrow in my favor a little bit. It's actually a pretty cool hunt on YouTube where that happened, but it didn't come after, you know, seven, eight days of hunting straight or, yeah. you know, a dozen stocks. I mean, I, I probably stocked that buck seven, eight times and, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like I've never had one read the script, but everything that I've uh, punched my tag on is because I've, I've been relentless. Yeah. I have given up. Um, and believe me, every single time I've, I've wanted to give up and just be like, wow, man, I'm wasting my time. I got my kids at home. I got this, that, and the other I'm supposed to do. I'm stressed out. And I'm like, no, I'm going to get this done. I'm going to give up. I'm going to keep going hard until I get it done. And honestly, the, the beauty is in the work. Um, yeah. You can put in the preseason work, the scouting work, e-scouting work but then you've got to put in the consistent work and that's time on the mountain time on the glass and trying 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 you've got to try you're not going to you're not going to stop that buck in that basin over there unless you try but if you're like mm -hmm. man i don't even want to go down in there it's going to take me a whole day to go down in there and i'm going to go in there i'm going to blow the stock and um i'm going to have to walk out at the end no you're losing right there right yeah you're, you're losing right off the bat but, but you got to try you're not going to kill them if you don't try you never know unless you know. Yeah. And, and I'm sure whitetail hunting is a little bit different, but you, unless you're in the stand and, and are trying different things, you're not going to kill them, right? Mm -hmm. That's and, true. And whitetail hunting is also different in the sense that we're not doing mock scrapes and, and putting up scents and, and doing calls like that. Um, we're literally stalking this animal on 100,000 acres of, of national forest or BLM or whatever it is, um, trying to beat this guy at his own game. You're... It's, it's like you're, you're going in his house that he lives every day and you're trying to rob him and he knows every nook, cranny, tree, rock, boulder. He knows every, especially a smart buck. He knows, he knows when something's standing there, that's not a dead log, even though you're trying to look like a dead log. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? 
So magic happens when you put in the work and, and you don't give up. That's that's my opinion on the Western stuff. Yeah, dude, a thousand percent. You know, I want to, the other thing I kind of want to, I failed to mention and ask earlier, uh, you know, you're, you, you talk about going in three to 10 miles, you know, you're getting away from that traffic and just getting away from people. So you're carrying camp on your back, correct? How are you looking at the map to decide where you want to camp? You know, I think one of the things that people look at and they could make mistakes on, or they may not look at it as well is having camp in the right place. I feel like that's a pretty big thing. It is. Talk to us Uh, about how you're doing that. Yeah. Obviously we're looking at the topography layer again. We want to find where there's a bench, something semi comfortable to be able to put, you know, we have a cameraman a lot of times coming with us. So we need at least two spots that we can lay down Mm -hmm. and rest comfortably. If not, you know, we're digging out spots if they don't exist. But the biggest thing about, you know, where you're putting your camp, you don't want to be putting your camp where your wind's going to blow it up. So you, you, you want to be camped before you get to the tops of the ridges and skyline yourself. You, you never want to be, have a camp skyline of any kind. Right. Certainly not where deer are living. And that can be tough because it creates extra work because if you've got a camp, you know, a thousand feet below where you want to hunt, then you've got to make that trek in and out every night and that can become exhausting. But it's like, well, you also don't want to pitch your tent where your wind's just going to blow around, swirl around, or where they can hear you. Where you know you need to be able to at night fix your food. Uh, they don't want to hear clinking of metal uh, silverware mm-hmm. on your your jet oil and things like that. So you've got to camp out of earshot and out of no shot of those animals. That, and I'm I'm a big proponent on that. And if that means putting in extra work to get in there to hunt them, you're going to have to put in extra work. So are you staying away from camping in meadows, super close to creeks and stuff like that? Or I definitely not a meadow. I would definitely say do not camp in meadows. Yeah. Uh, you know, camp, camping next a creek, depending on where it is, can be convenient. But I mean, if there's a lot of game action in there, I would say, yeah, don't camp right there. Yeah. You know, because you're just, you're just going to screw up the natural path of those animals. So off the beaten path a little bit, if there's a creek there, great. If not, um, yeah, try to stay away from it. There's a, there's a spot I hunt. Uh, elk where I don't camp next to the creek. It would be way more convenient if I did, but I know that game are going to be coming down at night to drink out of that, and I don't want to be spooking them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm not going to camp there. I'll, I'll camp at the top of the dry spot in an inconvenient area just so that I'm not spooking game. Because, you, you know, when you're hunting Western Big Game on thousands of acres, hundreds of thousands of acres, you've got to do everything to maximize your, uh, your, your chance of success. And Case in point, Aaron and I last week were camping in a spot we've never really camped before. We don't know what almost ran. I actually slept through it, but something almost ran us over in the middle of the night, whether it was elk or deer. Aaron woke up two in the morning <laughs> and he thought there's a stampede of cows coming through. And he they huffed at us. I don't know. I, oh, I felt I didn't even wake up for it. But, you know, obviously, if you don't camp there, that's where they were going to eat in the middle yeah. of the night. Yeah. yeah. But we, we didn't know, right? Sometimes you just don't know. Yeah, and that's man, it's it's finding that spot is almost tough because I've been elk hunting before and I've found a good meadow that's had wallows on it before. And you know, we take that two hour hike in, you get up there and you look, and there's tents set up right on the tree edge. It's like oh. damn. Dude, nothing drives me more nuts than when I actually know an area and I see these hunters 
camp where the deer feed or bed mm-hmm. drives me absolutely bonkers. <laughs> my, my number one pet peeve, dude, camp way out of the way. Mm-hmm. Try to camp way out of the way you think you should be camping because there's animals that live in that area. I kind of think it's a common courtesy for everyone that everyone should kind of like, you know, in golf, there's certain types of etiquette. I yeah. feel like in boat, there's certain types of etiquette. If someone's on stock in the West, like, okay, leave him alone. Like, don't try to stalk an animal too. It's like, I feel like there should be camping etiquette where it's like, man, if you know the animals live in there, maybe there's some innocence, right? But like, stay far as far away from that stuff as you can so that yes. everyone can enjoy themselves. Yes, that's so frustrating, dude. Like, man, I thought I had the little golden ticket. I found it on e-scouting and everything. I'm like, man, that's going to be a good spot to get to if we can get to it. And pull up. We're like, man, look at there. I mean, there's just like all these different wallows in all this area. And I look up and I just see orange and white. I'm like, you got to be freaking kidding me. Setting up right here, dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gosh. We opening day rifle actually out of state hunt last year. We and I knew I know this area. Mm-hmm. We had guys from back east pounding timber in the middle of the day on opening day. I'm like, hey man, I've heard about these legendary Wisconsin deer drives. This this is not that. <laughs> no. And I and deer were just running everywhere. And you know what? They don't know any better, you know. But it they were just trying to kill a deer, and you can't fault them for that. It's public land, but yeah. You just want to, you know, dude, I know it. I've had, I had some run-ins this past year with, with some dudes from Arizona that it honestly just the, uh, level of ignorance I'll say, uh, yeah, it grinds your gears, dude. Yeah, it definitely. It, but you gotta be patient because who, who knows what's going on in their heads. Maybe they're new. Maybe they're not. Yes. Maybe they're new hunters. Maybe it's their only day to hunt. Who knows? You just try to give everyone a little bit of grace and give them the benefit of the doubt. doesn't mean it's not frustrating. Well, in this case, for me, it was their last day, and it was some older guys that you could tell they definitely done this quite a few times, and they just didn't care. And those are the guys that, at the end of the day, sometimes give hunters bad names. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, man, I, I know we're getting close on time here, so kind of recap for us, you know, that strategy for better mule deer hunting, if you will, and just helping the listeners find mule deer easier and when it comes to just e-scouting and all just kind of recap that and any last golden nuggets you got for us yeah i would say this i would say high-res imagery updated high-res imagery is huge and the big thing too is if you've already tried areas and you want to explore new areas identify places on the map that you've never gone to and explore those that's how you're going to find more deer that's how you're going to find diamonds in the rough and you know what? It's always fun to explore. Mm-hmm. So it's like going and explore new places. That's how you're going to find new deer. Because guess what? If you go in and you either had a mountain lion blow through an area and chase game or, or, or had a whole bunch of hunters come through, or maybe maybe the ranch removed the cattle through the BLM and the National Forest and screwed up your deer. Yeah. You need to have those backup plans, especially out west. So hire as imagery. Um, set a lot of waypoints, record your track so that you can go back and find your way through things and do things so that, you know, especially out West here, some, sometimes getting these places can be really tough and frustrating and wear you out. So if you find a good place, make sure you're hitting the tracking feature and turning that on so you can find your, your way in and out of places. And so you don't get lost. True. That is true, dude. Especially, especially when you're going out uh, early in the dark. 
Yes. Yes. Huge. Cause you're like, Oh no, I'm going to remember this stuff, dude. And then, you know, your brain doesn't work the same when you're dehydrated and you're malnourished. Yeah. So it's like, sometimes when you can't, you're too exhausted to even talk. I don't know if you've ever been on the mountain where you're like slurring your words and so tired packing an animal out, but you, you want to have that tracking feature. So, yes. you know what's up. Big time. Any other final words of advice for all the listeners out there? Man, put in the work. I, I just think that, um, consistency kills every single time if you're not successful keep trying don't give up the magic happens magic's in the journey and the magic is not giving up and on the other side of that on the other side of that how should i say it um adversity um that's that's where the winning the winning prize is true words man true words tell the listeners where they can find all your stuff man for those of you for those of the listeners that don't know you yet yeah, absolutely. Muleyfreak.com. You'll find our, you know, our vinyl harness, uh, rifle cover glass and pads, some of our merch. We got some sick new merch we just launched. And then also our YouTube channel. We have a lot of cool stuff over on our YouTube channel, backcountry bear hunts, backcountry deer hunts, elk, archery, bow, um, rifle, muzzleloader. So a lot of cool stuff happening over there. Be sure to subscribe to us over there. Love it, man. Dude, Eric, appreciate your time today and hopping on here to talk mule deer with me. Absolutely. Thanks, Will. And there you go, y'all. Hopefully, you'll be able to take some of the insight and golden nuggets from Eric today to apply it to your e-scouting and preseason strategy when you're putting that game plan together to chase after some giant muleys this fall. Whether you're early season or you're late and you're going to be in the hardwoods, whatever it's going to be, hopefully, you'll be able to take something from this and apply it to your game plan and be successful and get a giant buck down on the ground. Again, y'all, we just want to thank you for tuning in to the HuntStand podcast. If you haven't yet, make sure you got the HuntStand app downloaded. We got free pro and pro whitetail unlock all the features of hunt stand today and upgrade now thanks again for tuning in this week's episode and we'll see you on the next one join captain justin leak and meredith mccord for the best fishing action along panama city beach Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life.